Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the historic records as we pick up in Isaiah chapter 36, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Shall we turn to Isaiah chapter 36? As we completed the 35th chapter of the book of Isaiah, of course, we got into those glorious prophecies of the future kingdom age when Jesus Christ will be reigning over the earth and how God is going to restore the earth to its Edenic glory. Now, we always, it seems, have sort of curious minds and we wonder often just how God proposes to do the things that he says he is going to do. And in reality, the whys aren't really our real concern, however we so often make them a concern. You know, well, if he did this or if he did that. And there are many suggestions as to how the earth might be restored to the Edenic glory and beauty. Here in the 35th chapter, there are uh, references to there being uh, streams in the deserts, pools in the uh, dry places and so forth, and and how that uh, the whole earth is going to be more or less restored. As far as the deserts will be gone, they will blossom as a rose, and and the whole earth will become very fertile and uh, productive. And... uh, With the prophecies of Isaiah, there are also those prophecies of of the earth being moved out of its place, staggering to and fro as a drunken man, and things of this nature, which has caused some people to theorize that it is quite possible that we will have another polar axis shift. And it could very well explain many of the uh, cataclysmic events that are declared to be taking place during the Great Tribulation. As the earth shakes and as the mountains and the islands disappear, and uh, it talks really of a tremendous cataclysmic upheaval of the earth. At the present time, the earth is tilted at about, uh, as far as the polar axis and its relationship to the sun, it's tilted at about 23 and a third degrees which causes our uh, summer and winter seasons because of this tilt on the polar axis. And now being in the northern hemisphere, uh, the sun is, because of our tilt, we are now receiving longer days and will do so up until the summer equinox. There is a suggestion that there will be another polar axis shift at which time it could be that the earth will come into pretty much a straight alignment with the sun and the earth revolving on its axis. Now, if this should result, what would happen is, of course, you would have a medium climate all the way around the earth. You wouldn't really have your seasons any longer but you'd have pretty much a medium climate around the earth. It would heat up the earth sufficient to melt 
the ice pack at the North and the South Pole, which would raise the water level around the entire Earth. With the greater warmth, it would cause more evaporation of the water on into the atmosphere and uh, would create a much larger moisture barrier within the atmosphere itself. Because of the polar ice packs being melted, you would not have your tremendous cold air, Arctic air uh, moving, so all of your winds would become much more mild than they presently are as the air would move much slower than uh, it now does as a result of the polar Arctic winds and so forth that bring these. You have your warm air rising and the cold air moving in, but it would sort of minimize uh, the air movement, much milder winds and so forth than what we presently have. Probably increase rainfall upon the, around the earth. It, of course, would raise the water level uh, on all of the shorelines and it would give us a little bit more of a water-earth ratio rather than two-third, one-third, and um, would result probably in the disappearance of all of the desert regions and also all of your extremely hot zones and extremely cold zones so that you'd have a pretty much of a temperate climate all around the world. We do know that at one time at the North Pole, there was tropical vegetation, mammoths that have been found encased in ice in Siberia, have had tropical vegetation still in their digestive tracts. The mammoths were fast frozen there by some cataclysmic event of the past, quite possibly the flood of Noah. We do know that at one time at the South Pole there were great forests because they have found tremendous deposits of charcoal 200 feet under the ice pack, indicating that there were once forests down there. And again, uh, it could be accountable back to the flood that at that time there was a polar axis shift causing the tremendous movement of the waters, the oceans and so forth, and creating whole new type of continents and entirely new uh, kind of a geography around the earth. So there are hints and indications in the scripture that this indeed might be what will cause these changing effects. But however God works it out, as I say, we only guess, we really don't know. But God is going to work it out, and the earth is going to be a beautiful place to live. And so it really doesn't matter. You don't have to put a claim on Hawaii. I don't even know if Hawaii will still be here because during the great cataclysmic changes, it talks about the islands disappearing. Uh, it would be a shame, I agree, if Hawaii would go. But, uh, you know, no matter where you live, it, it'll be beautiful and verdant. Uh, as God restores the earth. So chapter 35 is prophetic as it looks ahead into that glorious kingdom age. Now, from 36 to 39, Isaiah just takes out of the historic records and you'll find that this particular area parallels 
Second uh, Kings, beginning with around chapter 17 or 18. And so he evidently took the historic records. In fact, chapter 37 of Isaiah is identical to 2 Kings chapter 19. So he has just more or less copied the historic records of which 2 Kings is a part of the history of the nations of Israel and Judah. And he copied out of the historic accounts these chapters in order to give you the historic background for the prophecies that he has just made of the destruction of the Assyrian forces and so forth. Having prophesied these things, he now gives the historic background that you might see that God's word was accurate and true and what God foretold would come to pass did indeed transpire. So these next four chapters are just out of the kings and other historic records that he had available to him that we do not have now. And uh, they just cover this period of history over which he has been prophesying, the period of history when the Assyrians would be bringing their armies in an invasion of Jerusalem, but would be turned back by the hand of God. So this is the history of it. Now it came to pass in the 14th year of King Hezekiah that Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came up against the defense cities of Judah and took them. And the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh. Now, Rabshakeh is the title. We really don't know what the name of the man was, but that is the title of this particular person. From Lachish to Jerusalem unto King Hezekiah with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool. Then came forth unto him Eliakim, Hilkiah's son, which was over the house, and uh, Shebna the scribe, and Johan Asaph's son, the recorder. And Rabshakeh said unto them, Go tell Hezekiah, thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, What is this confidence wherein you trust? I say, but they are but vain words, I have counsel he said, you're saying, actually, that you have counsel and strength for war. Now, on whom are you trusting that you would rebel against me? Lo, you are trusting in the staff of the broken reed of Egypt, whereon if a man would lean, it would go into his hand and pierce it. And so is Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and all that trust in him. But if you say unto me, we trust in Yahweh our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and to Jerusalem, ye shall worship before this altar? Now Rabbekshek shows his ignorance of the worship of the God of Israel or the God of Judah. For Hezekiah did indeed destroy the altars and the high places and the groves 
in which the children of Israel were worshiping the gods of the Canaanites, the worship of Molech and Baal and Mammon was done in these groves and in these high places. And so one of the pluses of Hezekiah is that when he came to the throne, he tore down the altars to the false gods that the children of Israel had been worshiping. But as is so often the case, those that are looking from the outside in presume to know a lot of what is being taught or said, and really they know nothing of the truth. And in this case, Rebekshek was totally wrong in that he is accusing Hezekiah of tearing down the altars or tearing down the high places of Jehovah. Jehovah actually commanded them not to build the high places and always spoke out against them. And it was established that there was only one place that they should gather to worship Jehovah and to offer sacrifices, and that was in Jerusalem at the temple. And so Rebekshek shows his total ignorance of Jehovah in his remarks. Now, he also is assuming that the children of Judah had gone to Egypt for help. But Hezekiah had been counseled by Isaiah not to go down to Egypt for help, but just to trust in the Lord. Now, the natural thing to do in this situation the wise, natural thing would have been to go down to Egypt to seek their help because Egypt was also being threatened by Assyria. And so it would have made good, natural sense to go down to get Egypt's help. But what often is to us good, natural sense isn't always good, spiritual sense. And where naturally it would have been a smart move, from a spiritual standpoint, it would have been a bad move, and God recommended and counseled them against it. He said, trust in me and not in the arm of Egypt or in the arm of flesh. And so uh, Rabekshak shows two cases of his ignorance of the situation. One is ignorance of their worship of Yahweh. Secondly, his ignorance of the counsel that God had given to them not to trust in Egypt. So they were not trusting in Egypt. They were trusting completely in the Lord through the encouragement of Isaiah to just trust in the Lord to deliver the Assyrian host into their hand. Now he is belittling them. He said, look, give me some money and I'll give you 2,000 horses and let's see if you can find enough men to sit upon those horses. You know, we'll help you to fight us. Just give us some pledges and we'll give you 2,000 horses if you can put men upon them, if you're able to set riders on them. How then will you turn away the face of just one captain of the least of my master's servants. 
and you put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen. And do you think that I now come up without the Lord against this land to destroy it? Yahweh said unto me, go up against this land and destroy it. So now he is blaspheming God. He's saying, hey, God's giving me directions, you know. You think I've come out up here without God's instructions? For Yahweh said to me, come on up and besiege this place. Then said Eliakim and Shebna and Joash to this Rebshakeh, Speak, I pray thee, unto thy servants in the Syrian language, or in Aramaic, for we understand it. Don't speak to us in the Jews' language in the ears of the people that are upon the wall. Now here are all of the men of Israel sitting there on the wall, and so these emissaries of Hezekiah figure, man, this guy must be demoralizing these people. He's, uh, you know, saying, hey, you know, if we gave you 2,000 horses, you couldn't put men on them, and how are you going to ever defy us and all? And, and so uh, they, they said, hey, you know, don't talk to us in, in Hebrew. Talk to us in the Syrian. We can understand your uh, Syrian tongue or Aramaic. We understand that. Speak to us in Aramaic. But this... Rabshakeh picked up on what they were noticing. And so he said, hey, wait a minute. Didn't the king send me to talk to you men on the wall? You know, I don't care about your king Hezekiah. And he stood and he cried with a loud voice, verse 13, in the Jews' language and said, hear ye the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus saith the king, don't let Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord or in Yahweh, saying, The Yahweh will surely deliver us, for this city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Hearken not to Hezekiah, for thus saith the king of Assyria, Just make an agreement with me. Buy a present. In other words, just pay some tribute and come on out and just work in your fields. Eat of your own vines and of your own fig trees. Drink waters out of your own cistern until I come and repopulate you in another land that is just as nice and pleasant as this one. Now, Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, had the habit or custom of repopulating the peoples from their lands because as they would move them out of their land away from their families and away from their friends it, they, they had to learn a whole new culture and and were with different people and it kept them from banding together in a rebellion and so he's offering them, here, we'll just take you away and we'll give you another land that's just as pleasant and nice as this. You know, just pay tribute and just wait for us to come and repopulate you. And then, again, he said, Beware, lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying that Yahweh will deliver us. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? So he's now exalting himself against the God of Jacob. Where are the gods of Hamath, Arphad? Where are the gods of Seraphim and those 
And they, have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who are they among all the gods of these lands that have delivered their land out of my hand that Yahweh should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? But the men on the wall wisely held their peace. They didn't answer a word, for the king's commandment was, don't answer him. So then came Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, that was over the household of Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, and the son of Asaph, the recorder, to Hezekiah with their clothes rent, and they told him the words of Rabshakeh. Now, it was a custom that when you were very upset or when you were in real trouble, the thing to do is just tear your clothes. And so these guys have been receiving all of these threats now from this emissary of the king of Assyria. And uh, it's been a bad experience, so they tear their clothes. It's sort of, hey, you know, woe is us. We've had it kind of a thing. And and they came into Hezekiah uh, with their clothes torn. We'll continue with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Isaiah on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Isaiah 36 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord bless and give you a beautiful week. May his hand be upon your life, and may the flame of love really begin to burn in your hearts towards God, that this will be a week in which you're really in tune, in harmony with him, and that love and and commitment is restored, and and it's just a glorious week of, of thinking of him, worshiping him, serving him, loving him. May God be pleased with you in Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. This Christmas, why not give the gift of God's Word by choosing the Word for Today Bible, featuring Chuck Smith's notes highlighting a simple understanding of the Scriptures. This Bible includes an exhaustive concordance, cross-references, in-text and color maps, words of Christ in red, and Chuck Smith's commentary notes, including Hebrew and Greek word origins. And... 
In the Word for Today Bible softcover edition, we've included Chuck Smith's book, How Can a Man Be Born Again, which is very informative for a new believer. It's our prayer that as your loved ones read the Word for Today Bible, Chuck's commentaries will give a simple understanding into the scriptures, causing God's Word to come to life in their heart, not only drawing them into a closer relationship with the Lord, but stirring them to passionately serve God. For more information, please call the Word for Today at 800-272-9673 or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org to read a preview.